You're listening to Real Estate Real Fast. Each episode, we discuss all things real estate, whether that's strategies for investors, ways the average homeowner can maximize profits when selling their home, or understanding market trends and more. Real Estate Real Fast is brought to you by ListingSpark, automated software that takes you through the complete home selling process and sells your home faster, safer, and at a fraction of the cost. Hey guys. Welcome to episode 21 of Real Estate Real Fast. I'm your host, Aaron Gistel. Thanks so much for joining me today. For those of you tuning in for the first time, just a little bit about myself and the podcast. So I'm the broker, one of the co-founders here at ListingSpark. ListingSpark is a technology-driven real estate brokerage. We help homeowners sell their home, uh, utilizing technology quickly, easily, and save them a ton of money and commissions in the process. We specifically cater to a big demographic of investors here in the major Texas markets. So we're currently in 14 MLS markets here in Texas, but we do the majority of our business, obviously, in the major metros. A huge segment of our business is real estate investors who are doing flips, new builds, kind of everywhere in between. And so this podcast specifically here at Real Estate Real Fast is really catered to a lot of information that is going to be useful to that real estate investment demographic. But what we want to do is we want to present information that's going to be digestible and useful to anybody that's interested in real estate at all or thinking about selling a home. And so today, it's been a little while since we've done a market update. We're, we're almost at the halfway point for the year. So I thought this was a great time to ride solo in a podcast today and just talk about what's going on in the market. Mostly, we're going to be focusing on Texas. I'll, I'll talk a little bit about where we're at in the real estate market as a whole nationwide. But for the most part, we're going to really hammer in on the major markets here in Texas. So kind of get us started. Let's talk about Austin. Austin is our headquarter office. We started the company here. Most of us reside in Austin, so we know this market really, really well. And it and Austin being the state capital and kind of the the kind of the epicenter of, of the Texas tech hub, Austin tends to get the most polarizing headlines. And right now, Austin is probably feeling the pain more than everybody else in in the rest of the state. So all the data that I'm pulling is going to be for last month. Since May is not in the books yet, all the data isn't quite back yet for May. So most of these numbers are April numbers. And when we look at comparing numbers, we're looking at year-over-year changes. So where where are we this year compared to April of last year? And so in Austin, the median home price is $466,750, and that's down 15% year-over-year. By far the biggest change in, in any of the markets that we're in, 15% is, is a big number. We were well over 500K this time last year. So that's definitely something to take significant note of. Closed transactions last month, 2,611. That's down 18%. Days on market, really big change. We're at 71 days on market. That's up 53 days compared to where it was last year. Last year, we were sub 20 days on market. Um, And what days on market means, just so you know, it's not from listing to close. It is the time in which you list the property in the MLS and how long it takes you to execute a contract. There's another 30 to 35 days on top of that in order to close. So when you're factoring, how long is it going to take for me to sell my house? With average days on market, at 71 days. From list to close, you're probably a little bit north of 100 days. So when you're listing your house and you're factoring in things like carrying costs, utility payments, taxes, insurance, mortgage payments, things like that, you want to be factoring in a time horizon of about 100 days. 
that's particularly important if you were using hard money to acquire your properties. So a lot of these loans, uh, they're probably running a little bit longer than they used to, but I mean, there were, there were times when hard money loans were six months. So you'd acquire a property, goal was to get in and out within 30 days, get it on the market, get under contract within a couple, couple days or a week, and you're selling it 30 days later, you're paying that, that loan back in you know, 90 to 120 days. Well, now if it's just taking you a hundred days to sell it, you got to factor that in because you got to get it, you got to acquire it, you got to rehab it, permitting, everything else, just, everything is just taking a bit longer now. Our new listings in April, 4,115, that's down 10% year over year. So we're seeing less new listings hitting the market in Austin. Active listings, 8,285. That's a big, that's a big number. That is up 206% because that's the compounding effect of days on market really starting to, to rear its head. So every listing, not every listing, the majority of listings that were listed last month are still going to be on the market this month. And we got all these new listings hitting the month, hitting the market this month. So that's creating a, a, a much larger inventory of homes sitting on the market. Pending sales, 3,267. That's essentially flat. Um, so we're not seeing a ton of growth in pendings. Dollar volume, $1.54 billion in, in sales volume last month. That's down about 29%. And then finally, month supply of inventory is at 3.2. And that's up 2.4 months, meaning in April of, of last year, we had under one month's supply of inventory. Um, I've talked about this a lot on the podcast, but for those hearing that term for the first time, Month supply of inventory means if no new homes hit the market, how long would it take to sell every single home that's sitting on the market right now? And so it would take us over three months to sell every current home that's sitting on the market right now. For context, we typically say one to three months or one to four months, somewhere in there is going to be a seller's market. Four to six months is going to be a little bit more of a balanced market, meaning it's not not tipped to one side or the other for buyers or sellers. And then once you get north of six months, a month supply of inventory, you're, you're in a full-blown buyer's market. I can tell you 3.2 months supply of inventory doesn't feel like we're in a seller's market, but technically by definition, we still are. Waiting, waiting around 100 days to sell your home is, is really challenging for a, a, a segment of home sellers that are used to homes just flying off the market. So we're, we're feeling the pain. Some other general notes on Austin. Most people think this is, all of this is pretty bad news. I mean, for the most part it is. Prices are down, days on market's up. It's taking a lot longer to sell um, than what everybody's used to. But some of the good news is new listings are down year over year, which is keeping inventory at bay a little bit. If new listings was skyrocketing, inventory would would be even higher than it already is. So that's a little bit of good news there. Really, most of the good news happening in Austin right now is on the buyer side. So if you're a buyer, this is the first time in probably close to a decade that you've had this amount of negotiating leverage. And so we are seeing that in full force. Buyers are negotiating prices a little bit harder. They're working in closing costs. They're just overall getting better terms than they have in the past. That's just part of the game now. The only problem is rates are still really high. So buyers are feeling that. So, you know, in a lot of ways, everything that they're negotiating hard for is getting wiped out by climbing rates. 
but it's a necessary evil on both sides. You got to negotiate hard to get a price that is going to be palatable for a buyer, especially compensated for, for climbing grades. Okay, let's talk about DFW. So median price in DFW right now is 399900 That's down 4.3% year over year. So again, we're seeing a decline in median home price. Active listings, 16432 Obviously, DFW is a, is a huge market. It kind of dwarfs Austin, but still active listings are up 84% year over year. So not quite as bad as the 206% in Austin, but that's still a, a hefty climb. Closed transactions last month, 8,090. That's down 7.7% year over year. And months of inventory, 2.1. And so that's up 110% from one month of inventory this time last year. Days on markets at 52 days. That's up from 30. That's up 30 days. So we were sub a month a year ago. So not quite as bad as, as Austin, but still up there. The Metroplex, it's faring a lot better than Austin. 2.1 months of inventory is. We're still firmly planted in the seller's market. Days on market is a big change year over year, but it's still under two months. So just not feeling it quite as bad. Houston, we've had the 13th straight month of slowing sales. Home sales are down about 18.5% year over year. Now, existing home sales is only down 4.7% from 2019. So when we look at pre-pandemic, 2019 was the last time that we had a quote-unquote normal market. And so we're only down 4.7% from the last normal year that we can all remember. That seems like an eternity ago. Median price is down 3.6% to 331. Month supply of inventory is at 2.7. That's up from 1.3, so it's more than doubled. The townhome and condo market in Houston has gotten hit really hard. Sales are down over 30% in that segment of the market. So you know, if you invest in condos and townhomes, that's certainly something to, to keep in mind. Days on market is at 55 days. That's up from 34. So like every other market, we're just seeing, taking more time to sell. Ultimately, Houston's behaving pretty similarly, similarly to DFW. San Antonio, single family sales, 2,901. That's down 13% year over year. Uh, much like Houston, condos and townhomes are down 39%. Single-family resale homes, existing homes that are being resold are down 28%. Interesting stat here, new construction is actually up 26% year over year. So what does that mean? Because we have to remember, these are new home construction sales. So there's a, there's a time loop that we have to factor in. So that means permits and starts were probably up pretty significantly last year. And then it took probably six to 12 months of build time to get here. And now we're finally starting to see new construction climbing. You probably heard, if you listened to any of my previous podcasts, there were, there were times where uh, new construction was making up over 20% of all active listings on the market. So it doesn't surprise me to see that new construction sales are up. It's just an interesting stat to see they're up 26% year over year. Median price in San Antonio, 320K. That's only down 1%. That's the lowest drop in any of the major markets. So San Antonio holding strong there. Single family days on market, 70. That's an increase of 133%. So days on market is behaving really similarly to Austin, which was at 71. And then pending listings are down 11%, whereas actives are, are up 106%. So unpacking all of that, 
market is slowing down. Velocity of home sales is slowing down. Inventory is going up, but we are still seeing a lot of home sellers pushing back on listing their house. So that's that's going to be for a lot of reasons. You have a you have a tremendous amount of people that are priced into their homes, meaning if they're sitting on a three to four percent interest rate, some even have a two percent interest rate. They're not very motivated to sell their house and jump into a seven percent interest rate or six and a half percent interest rate. So they're priced into their home. They're just not ready to move and cash out of there. They want to sit back and, and maybe wait until they see more signs of life. I think that's a good thing. We do still have equity. Home values have fallen, but they haven't fallen so drastically that people have lost out on their significant equity position in their home. So the pressure isn't quite there. You're mostly getting people who are moving that just absolutely have to move. It's, it, it's a job change. You might see a few people that are being really opportunistic and saying, this is my chance to trade up. I don't want to wait until the market bounces back and I get back into the bidding war situation and everybody re-enters the market. I want to get a smoking deal on my on my new bigger home now, and I'm willing to hedge. Then I'm going to be able to refi for a lower rate later. So you're seeing some people that are that are doing the trade up, but it's a it's a lower number than we've seen in the past. So let's talk a, a little bit about what's happening with rates and mortgages. So rates have steadily increased pretty much the entire month of May, and as of yesterday, we eclipsed seven percent on on mortgage interest rates. That's not great. So MBS, mortgage-backed security prices are still really weak. So we could see that n- number climb up even more. Higher rates are not good for anybody. They're not good for buyers. They're not good for sellers. You know, you look at, we talked a, a minute ago how this is the first time buyers have ever really had the kind of negotiating leverage they have in a long time. All of that gets wiped off the table if they're paying crazy rates. So I'm really hoping we're peaking out at rates for a while. I know Morgan Stanley's projecting that the Fed is done hiking rates. And it, almost everybody you talk to that's been listening to the Fed meetings, I think most people believe that the last rate hike is probably the last one for a while. The real question is, when is the Fed going to start lowering rates? They haven't been this high at 5.25% since August of 2007. So that's a pretty important day because we know that was obviously followed by a, a huge recession. I think everybody understands that a recession is looming. If we avoid one, it's gonna we're gonna just skate by it barely. And there's plenty of people that would argue that we're in a recession right now. But either way, the indicator is the Fed rate hasn't been this high since we had our last recession. So that is an early indicator of potentially what's to come. My gut says we probably need to fall into a pretty deep recession for the Fed to start cutting rates again. So we know that artificially low rates was one of the drivers of runaway inflation. We had free money for a really, really, really long time. Anybody that wanted to get money could borrow it. Home prices were pumped up because we had unrealistic mortgage rates that were keeping monthly payments really low. The Fed is going to have pretty short-term memory on on that for a while. So I personally think things are going to have to get pretty bad in the economy for the Fed to lower rates. I think the best that we can hope for is that we see some incremental movement and we get back down to, you know, we stay in the low sixes. Maybe we hover around six and a half for the, for the rest of this year. I just want to get out of sevens. I feel like once we, once we, every time we peak over sevens, it, it tends to kind of shock the market again. 
That's exactly what happened in Q3 and Q4 last year. The market essentially froze when rates spiked up to 7%. Then rates came back down. They settled in the sixes. We saw Q1 this year that buyers and sellers just had kind of come to grips with the fact they'd spent about six months trying to calibrate what everything was going to look like with rates that were spiking up there. It seemed like everybody had just resided to the fact that that's going to be the new normal for the real estate market. They started to do the calculus around it. We worked in sellers covering points for the buyer so they can, they can buy down their interest rate. It, it was just the market as a whole started to understand this is the world in which we have to live in and they started getting used to it. I do get concerned that if we see spikes and they stay up over 7%, it's going to shock the market again. We're going to see another pause. We've got some, we've got some factors that might keep that from happening. We're, we're getting into seasonality. We know that families move in the summer. They don't want to move their kids in the middle of the school year. They want to move in the summer months. They want to get parked in a new house so they can start getting used to their neighborhood, meet some friends, and then go to their new school. So I, I am hoping we're still going to see our, our normal seasonal uptick. But yeah, just interest rates are very interesting right now and, and worth keeping an eye on. We also had some pretty significant changes in Fannie Freddie loans. So it's kind of strange. Most people that I've come across don't necessarily agree with the reasoning here, but how the fee structure has changed. I'm going to preface this. I'm a real estate guy. I'm a real estate broker. I'm, I, I don't originate loans. I'm not a lender. If you have questions about this stuff, find a great lender. There's tons of them out there and go talk to them. I've had several really good lenders on the podcast if you listen back. So, and I'm happy to point you in the right direction if you have any questions about lending. I'll just talk in kind of more broad strokes about what we're seeing. So, the fee structure on Fannie Freddie loans, they're changing based on credit score, meaning lower credit scores might receive lower fees and higher credit scores could, could see fees go up. That's kind of backwards to what it's always been. A good example, just to do some math. So a buyer who puts a 20% down payment, if they have a credit score of 640, they might see their origination fee drop three quarters of a point with these new updates, whereas another buyer who's making a 20% down payment and they have a 740 or above might see their fees climb by almost half a percent, which is a pretty big number when you're talking about origination fees. So that's a, that's a percentage of the loan. So a half a point, if you're, you know, on a $500,000 loan, that's 2,500 bucks. That's real money. The idea behind this is that the better off buyers who maybe have more money in the coffers are going to help fund lower credit score or lower income buyers and reduce their fees. So it's about, from my understanding, creating a more, what they deem to be a more equitable environment for fees. I don't know if I, I believe in it. We'll see if it works. They're also changing rates on vacation, second homes, higher value loans. So vacation homes and higher value loans having higher fees are going to allow uh, Fannie Freddie to reduce fees for other homestead buyers. So we could see it get more expensive in the secondary market, vacation markets. So again, something to keep an eye on. It's interesting that this is all kind of coming together as rates are simultaneously going up. Interesting times. Let's talk a little bit about the commercial real estate market. I did a whole podcast about what's going on in the commercial real estate world, what's going on in the banking world, how the banking world is affecting the commercial world. How those two things tie together is in the residential real estate space, 
most of these loans are going to be coming out of these huge banks, huge direct lenders that have these giant loan portfolios, you know, filled with all these mortgage-backed securities. The commercial world, it's very different. So we talked before, there's over $2 trillion worth of commercial loans that are held in smaller local private banks. And the, the run on these banks, so the risk of default at these smaller banks has a lot of potentially negative effects on the commercial real estate world that will eventually trickle down into the residential world. They're tied together in a lot of ways, even though they're, they're also very uniquely different. The other thing where the commercial real estate world can be tied to the residential world is obviously the better off the commercial real estate market is doing and the more office space you have, or in, like in Austin, we're always talking about all these new companies that are coming here. Apple's building a campus, Samsung, Dell, Amazon, Tesla, all these places, the more they build, the more workers come in, the more housing is, is a necessity. So as layoffs happen or as, as people are leaving the office, the residential market doesn't become quite as tied to the commercial market. So it's worth keeping an eye on both and kind of understanding how they might be intertwined with each other. What we're looking at right now that seems to be the biggest risk in the commercial world is office space. So I pulled some numbers back. So top 10 areas with the largest vacancy rates, these are of major metropolitan areas in the U.S. So right now, it looks like Houston is at the top of this list. A lot of these numbers came out at the beginning of this year, so new numbers will continue to cycle through for the rest of the year. Houston at 18.93% vacancy. Dallas at 17.69%. San Francisco is at 17%. I think that number in San Fran has gone way up. These numbers might be a little bit dated because I've heard San Francisco right now has gotten north of 30%. Austin is at just under 15%. Other major markets on here, Denver, 14%, call LA, 15 Phoenix, 15 A healthy commercial market is we, we don't have vacancy rates over 5%. So once we start getting into the 10, 15, 20% range, we're starting to see a, a pretty imbalance in the commercial office space because values are fundamentally tied to those occupancy rates. Unlike real estate where we're using the compare approach where a home is essentially worth what other like kind properties are selling for, office space is income producing properties. It's worth the income that it produces. It only makes income off its renters. So if vacancies are up, income is down, that can pull down the value of these these buildings. A lot of these financing a lot of these types of loans, these commercial notes are on, are not long-term notes like we have in the residential world. They're not a 30-year fixed mortgage. They're balloons. They could be five years, 10 years. They could be an adjustable rate. So you've got these owners who have these volatile loans that are coming. New products coming to market are not nearly as good. The fees are higher. The rates are higher. Or these banks are just pulling out of the commercial lending market altogether. So this is, we're in some unstable times to the commercial world. One thing is the industrial sector is remaining probably the most stable demand for warehousing, distribution centers, e-commerce, home delivery stuff is still very strong. So we're, we're still doing really good in the industrial sector. In Austin, you know, like we talked about vacancy earlier in the year was around 15%. It's climbed to closer to 19% as of this last month. Uh, so pulling some information from a couple different articles, the Texas Capitol offices haven't been so empty since the Great Recession. Sublease vacancy increased nearly 30% in the first quarter of 2023. 
So that's twice as many large blocks of space that are exceeding 100,000 square feet were, avail were available for lease the start of this year as there was in the span of uh, anywhere before the pandemic. So the other interesting thing in Austin is Austin landlords didn't ink a single lease that was greater than 30,000 square feet. Overall absorption fell to negative 562,000 square feet. So a lot less of these mega deals, mega leases getting signed for these huge organizations. So concerning, right? So pre-2020 in Austin, it was landlord had all the leverage. Space was scarce. Landlords could essentially set their prices and call the shots. Right now we're, we're, we're pivoting over to tenants have a lot of leverage right now. So if you run a business, you're looking for space and you're a tenant, this is your opportunity. So the other thing in Austin is I don't think we've seen the full effect of the tech layoffs yet. So Meta, Amazon, we've had some pretty big layoffs. I don't, I don't think that's unfolded fully yet. So it kind of remains to be seen. What's interesting though, is we are starting to see some companies that are pulling back on their work from home policies and they're starting to pull people back in the office. I know Dell is, is pulling everybody back in the office that lives within, I think, a 20 to 30 mile radius. Some companies, if you live in like a 70 mile radius, a hundred mile radius, you have to start coming back in the office. Part of the reason for that is one, they're going to say it's, it's company culture. Everybody's going to work better together when they're in the office. The other thing is they can't get out of their leases and they can't sublease them. And so they have all these, these costs and expenses and they want to be able to put them to good use. So it'll be interesting what unfolds here in Austin and in the commercial office world. Apartment, it's, it's much different. I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a minute. Apartments are also in the commercial space, but obviously it's in the residential sector of the commercial space. Apartments are much stronger than offices. I've got some data points there, kind of lumping in DFW and Austin together. I'll cover that in a minute. In Houston, leasing fell by nearly 29% compared to the previous quarter. So 29% quarter over quarter isn't great, but that's actually still up a little bit from year over year. So despite the decline in deal volume and availability, again, with the Houston's return to office trend, offices are 60% full, meaning the leases, 60% of the employees are getting back in the office, whereas previously it was under 50%, it was 49%. So we'll, again, we'll, we'll see what happens when everybody starts getting pulled back into the office. DFW, a much stronger commercial market. The Dallas-Fort Worth area ranked first in the nation for the 2023 real estate investments among the 10 largest U.S. metros based on a CBRE survey. Dallas-Fort Worth, Austin, and Miami ranked the best markets on the U.S. Investor Intention Survey. North Texas led the nation in commercial property investment in 2022, over $42 billion in transactions. And DFW's outpaced any other U.S. metro for commercial property for three years in a row. So that's pretty exciting for, for DFW. A lot of uncertainty at the macro level, but in the apartment sector, DFW has shown to be really resilient. Um, it's, it's one of the best markets in the country for, for building apartments. It leads the nation in construction of both in industrial buildings and new apartments. And the commercial real estate lenders have ranked DFW as one of the most preferred markets to originate loans in for 2023. So good news there. So if you're investing on a bigger commercial level, you may be looking at apartment investing maybe rather than office investing right now until we see what unfolds with the commercial office market.
So to kind of wrap things up, where do we go from here? It's tough to say. I mean, there's been some new reports that just recently came out that are saying that we could see bigger declines this year. We could be under 4 million home sales this year, which would be a huge drop from where we've been in previous years. We could see home prices and home values fall an additional kind of 3 to 5% this year. It's very possible. I think a lot of this is going to depend on how much pressure the Fed is going to continue to put on inflation, fighting inflation, and, and how much we got to handle on it. Jerome Powell has constantly said they have the tools in the toolbox to cure what happens as a result of a recession. But what they don't have tools in the toolbox for is curing runaway inflation, which is what we've been dealing with for, for the past couple of years. So I think the Fed is going to be as aggressive as they feel like they have to be to essentially halt inflation in its tracks. That will almost undoubtedly pull into a recession. And so 2023 is going to be an interesting year. Again, to reiterate, my hopes are if we have a negative growth year, it's mild. Hopefully that's not a shock to anybody with the situation that we're in. I think everybody already feels it. In my opinion, the best we can hope for is to start getting a little bit of rate relief, hopefully starting in June. The Fed's going to meet again in June. I think if they announce that they're not hiking rates, and inflation is under control, that might do a little something for you know the NBS market, and that might put it in the positive, that might pull rates down a little bit. I think if we can sit in the low to mid sixes, I think the market as a whole will be able to get their head around that and, and get back to a normal state, hope normal seasonality pulls things up a little bit, but we're in for a little bit of a rocky road. We've got to all remember that four to five months supply of inventory is a balanced market. And we're still not there yet. So even in the market that's gotten hit the hardest in Texas, which is Austin, we're still sub four months supply of inventory. So technically speaking, we're in a seller's market in every market still. It's just changed so dramatically from 2021 and 2022 that it, it feels like it's just a complete and utter shift, which it is. I mean, for, for days on market to be tripling, month supply of inventory to be doubling or tripling, it's a big shift. Hang on, you know, every recession, we come out the other side, the market's going to improve. Most people that are the most negatively affected were the buyers in 20, from 2021 and 2022. The average person who went and bought a house in 2020 or 2019 or, or before still has a ton of equity in their home and they're going to come out the other side unscathed. So that's it. That's my real estate market update. If you guys ever have any questions, please reach out anytime. You can go to our website. You can find us there. You can chat in. We've got some great tools you can use. Find out what's going on in the market. We're always happy to talk shop and talk real estate. We're going to be doing more podcasts here each month. So tune in again, guys. Thanks for joining us. This was another episode of Real Estate Real Fast. Thanks for listening to this episode of Real Estate Real Fast. If you're a homeowner or real estate investor, you should go check us out at listingspark.com. You can find tips for improving and selling your house, comparing properties, listing your home on the MLS, and even sign up for the live show of Real Estate Real Fast. We typically go live on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central. Go check us out at listingspark.com.